Good morning, church. Morning, not evening, right? My name is Lindsay Wabel. I am married to Dustin Wabel, and together we have three beautiful daughters, Allie, Charlie, and Dylan. We've been attending the experience for about three years, and I have the privilege of serving on the Connection team. I'm here this morning to speak to you about the Advent Candle of Hope. For some of you, this time of year is your absolute favorite. Reindeer ears come out like pre-turkey, trees already up. I highly disapprove because Thanksgiving is absolutely still a holiday. But for others, it's an extremely tough season. Whichever season of life you're in, I do know that we can all use a little bit more hope. The scripture reading for this morning is out of the book of Isaiah, chapter nine, verses two through seven. Isaiah is delivering a message to the people of Israel from the Lord. He is prophesying about the future that God has for his people. Currently, God's people are living in turmoil and chaos. They are living in complete rebellion to him and have completely turned their backs on God. They have forgotten all the miracles that he has performed on their behalf and every hardship that he's brought them through. But God and his grace and his mercy gave Isaiah this message even while they were still sinning. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A great light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and bloodied garment of war will be burned as fuel for the fire for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You see, sometime God, sometimes God has to send his people through darkness to see the light, through bloody battles where the blood that is spilt will be used for the purifying fire of God. Without trials, we would not need the hope of Jesus Christ. All of us will face trials this side of heaven. They are used to strengthen our faith and our courage, along with our character. The harder or darker the trial, the brighter the light of Jesus shines through. No matter the depth of the trial, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our eternal father, our prince of peace, he will shatter the yoke of our oppressor. He is the source of the strength we will need to persevere. I know this because he's done it for me time and time again in my life. My youngest daughter, Dylan, was born with a fatal genetic condition. The average lifespan is 28 days, with 90% of babies born with trisomy 18 not making it to their first birthday. I remember getting this diagnosis and my entire world crashing in around me. When Dr. Parker in the NICU gave my husband and I the news, he told us, this is where you decide if this is going to make you stronger or it's going to break you. You have to lean on the Lord for his strength and not your own. Can't tell you how many times I've replayed those words over and over in my mind. The Lord knew I would need those words. I remember walking by her bassinet over and over those first few times, first few months, checking to see if she was still breathing, wondering in the back of my mind if this was the time that she would not be. One day, God gave me the revelation, stop waiting for her to die and start letting her live. 
The words he put on my heart gave me so much hope. I knew right then that God had a plan for Dylan, for me and my family. All I needed to do was lay her and her life, no matter how short, at the foot of the cross. The Lord did and still does have a plan for Dylan. Just a few short weeks ago, my husband and I were able to baptize her and our daughter Charlie right here. It was a moment that I never thought would be possible. Dylan will be nine years old in February. She's even here with us this morning. She has overcome so many mountains in her life. Surgeries, illnesses, seizures, you name it, and she has beat it. She's an absolute warrior. And by the power of God, he writes her story. And somehow, God chose me to be her mom. He knew I would need her as much as she needs me. Dylan has never said her first words or taken her first steps. Yet she has taught me and countless others what love, faith, trust truly mean in the Lord. At the root of hope is trust. Trusting in God's plan for your life will not be easy. There will be battles in this life in all forms, illnesses, cancer, financial struggles, anxiety, depression, addictions, sins we think are unforgivable, death of loved ones, or bearing your own child. My husband and I, with the help of the Lord, through prayer, being in his word, and surrounded by this amazing community here at the church, have complete trust in God's plan for Dylan. He has given us a peace that only he can provide, and I cannot explain it. We know in the depths of our hearts, when he calls her home, we will see her again, and she will be whole. In Romans 15, Paul reminds us of Isaiah's words and adds, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. This life is hard, y'all. But the good news is God loves us so much. He sent his only son to die on a cross to save us while we were still sinners. He is sitting at the right hand of God at this very moment and he knows our names. There's no amount of work we can do to earn that type of love. All we need to do is trust and believe in Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Merry Christmas. All right. Well, this is the first time in four services that the front row is not full, so I guess the word is out uh, on my message. Sorry about that. Glad you're here. I do want to give a shout out to Kyle, though. Uh, I learned in the first service that there's a, another young man that you're going to hear from later, and he's got the same pants on as I do, and he looks much better in them. So thank you for letting me go first. Man, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Look, it was the summer of 2013, and I was working a corporate sales job in East Texas. And as was my custom, I walked into the office of a local business owner, a guy named Bert, and I went into my normal spiel about how my company and my product and my expertise were going to change the game for him. And about halfway through that, he said, hey, man, I got a quick question for you, which was odd because I'm the one doing the selling. I should be the one doing the talking. And he said, uh, after this meeting is over on your way home, should you not make it and you die, are you going to end up in heaven? Now, see, I'm from New York, 
So where I come from, we don't talk like that. You know what I'm saying? No one has ever asked me that question. I was 28 years old and I had never considered that question before. So I just made something up and kept it moving so I could get out of there because that was awkward. <laughs> and at the end of our, of our hour together, he said, hey, that question that I asked you earlier, you weren't real confident in your answer. He said, I just want you to know if you ever want to have confidence in your answer, if you ever want to know what's going to happen to you after you die, I would love to talk to you about the love of Jesus. About a month ago, Kyle reached out and asked me if I would come and, and share with you guys about love. And when I went home and told my wife about that, she said, why? You're no great authority on love. <laughs> so for your sake, I've decided and said to just spend a few minutes sharing with you about what I have personally experienced about the love of Jesus over the last 10 years walking closely with him. The first of which is that the love of Jesus leads. It goes first. I don't know if there's anybody in here that's ever had the chance to meet my children. If you haven't, you should. They're beautiful. They're smart. They're incredibly well-behaved. But those are not the reasons why I love them. Those aren't the reasons why I love you. I loved you before all of that. Before you could even tell me that you loved me, I loved you. I loved you first. You see, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. You see, the love of Jesus goes first. And I experienced that in, in a really impactful way when I was 28 years old because I was raised in the Catholic church and I never had anybody tell me that before. I never had anybody try to teach me that I didn't have to earn the love of God. If you're in here tonight, if you're watching online and you've never experienced the love of God for yourself, I just want you to know that he loves you. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to figure it out. You just need to know and believe that he loves you because the love of Jesus leads. And if you have experienced the love of Jesus for yourself, I want to encourage you this year to be a little bit more like Bert. I want you to ask those questions. I want you to challenge the perspective of your friends and family. I want you to step into those uncomfortable situations. Don't worry about being weird. Sounding strange. I want you to just lead like Jesus and love like Jesus and introduce people to the love of Jesus that you've experienced in your own life. I also want you to know that the love of Jesus is personal. The love of Jesus is personal. Bert, he did a great job of not only leading me to Christ, but walking with me and helping me understand that this Christian life is about a relationship with a man named Jesus. Because the love of Jesus is personal. There's a lot of people who go to church once a week or in the South like three times a week. But I want you to know if you don't already know that the love of Jesus is personal and we're taught, you've been told, you already know that the love of Jesus is for the nations, that the love of Jesus is for the United States. You're part of an incredible church that does a phenomenal job teaching throughout all its campuses that the love of Jesus is for our local community. And all of that is true. And also the love of Jesus is for you, ma'am. I want you to know that the love of Jesus is personal and is for you. If you're a kid in here, if you're an adult, if you're old, it doesn't matter. The love of Jesus is personal and it's for you. The love of Jesus has purpose. You see, the love of Jesus is purposeful. He's got a plan. He's very intentional. I serve on the board of USG, Uncommon Sports Group. USG is a national organization that exists to develop Christ-centered leaders throughout the sports industry. I happen to work on the campus of MTSU in the athletics department. USG has a presence on our campus and in campuses all across the country. USG has a presence in professional locker rooms 
and executive offices all across the country. And for a long time, I didn't realize that organizations like that exist. I didn't realize that work like that really mattered because when I was 28 years old in all my infinite wisdom, I thought that all Christians were professional Christians. If you were a Christian, you were a pastor or a missionary. I thought becoming a Christian meant I was going to have to sell all my stuff and move to Uganda. (laughs) See, some of y'all thought that too. But the love of Jesus has purpose. And you may be a nurse over at Ascension St. Thomas. You may be teaching first grade at campus school. And God's got you there to do a work amongst those people. I call it your sphere of influence. Because the Lord saves us, he redeems us, he does a work in us so that way we can go out and share it in our community, share it in our sphere of influence. And if all of the Christians became pastors, man. Lovers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, you're going to go. You're going to leave this place and you're going to go somewhere. And I want to encourage you to bring Jesus with you where you go. Don't just come here and pick him up here. Take him with you where you go because the love of Jesus has purpose. And you get to be burnt for somebody else. You get to step into somebody else's world and ask them some questions that might make them uncomfortable but will change their life forever. Okay, I'll wrap it up. One last story. Our daughter, Joby, six years old. But six years ago when she was first born, she was having trouble sleeping through the night. And if you don't already know this about me, I want you to leave here and understanding that I'm a world-class sleeper. (laughs) Like if sleeping was a professional sport, an Olympic sport, I would medal, I'm just saying. (laughs) I can sleep in airplanes. I can sleep with the lights on. I can sleep standing up. It doesn't matter. But my wife, not so much. You see, my wife has mom ears. And she hears everything, which means she never sleeps. But one night early on, six years ago, enough was enough. And she needed to get some sleep. So she wrestled me up and she said, hey, I'm tagging you and you got to go. I got to sleep. Okay. I'm a team player. It can't be that hard, right? So I take the baby and I lay her on my forearm, legs draped over each slide like a baby sloth. Her head fit in the palm of my hands. I'm also a slave to efficiency, so I'm figuring out if I'm going to be up all night, I'm going to listen to a podcast or something. And so with my left hand, I go to put my AirPods in. And church, let me tell you, before I got the second AirPod in, She's just laying here, and I'm bopping her like this. And before I could get the second AirPod in, I realized she wasn't crying anymore. Not only was she not crying, I realized that she was fast asleep. And before the thought ever crossed my mind to wake my wife up and tell her how easy this is, (laughs) before... That thought, that thought has never actually even crossed my mind. I don't know where that came from. I've ne- baby, I've never thought that. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, in, right there, in that moment, I'm standing in my living room in Starkville, Mississippi, and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that, Hans, sometimes just being in the presence of your Father, sometimes just being held by your Father, Resting in the palm of your father, sometimes experiencing the personal, purposeful love of your father is enough for you to have peace, an unexplainable peace, a peace that you probably can't put words to, but it's okay because it's a peace that doesn't matter what you're fearing. It doesn't matter what you're anxious about. It doesn't matter that you're hungry. It doesn't matter that you're tired. It doesn't matter that you have a soiled diaper. Nothing else matters. 
when you're experiencing the personal, purposeful love of your Father. And so if you're here today, if you're listening online, I want to encourage you this 2024 to pursue a deeper experience with the love of Jesus. Right here this Christmas season, I want you to seek out a deeper experience with the love of Jesus. And if you would be so lucky, maybe even today, I pray that you would experience a deeper sensation with the love of Jesus in a personal and purposeful way and that you would find peace. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, 10 o'clock. Do not even try to tell me happy holidays. Don't do it. I'm going to kick it out. Hey, I finally figured this out, okay? This has been the bane of my existence since last night at 4 o'clock. But then I figured out I'm short, right? Everybody else is tall that's doing this, and they're doing perfectly. It's hard. I did it. Take that. (laughs) I'm Penny Schaefer. I'm just so honored to be here. This is our fourth time. And, you know, I figured maybe I'd be a little bit sick of this by now, but I'm not. I'm, I'm liking it every single time I get up here. I don't know if that's, you know, narcissistic or anything. I don't think it is. I think it's good. I think it's good. My husband Andy and I have been attending this church for years. I've been in the art ministry. He's actually in Shelbyville right now, rocking it out on the drums for their Advent service. Super proud of him. I also get to work here, which is wonderful. I'm on the creative team in the art ministry, so I get to get messy every day, and I look like a person today, so congratulations me. Way to go. No paint anywhere. Nowhere. I'm reading today from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what had been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. I'm sharing my thoughts today on the fruit of the Spirit joy. We as believers know that perfect joy, that joy that we read about in the Word of God that's promised to us as a gift can only be experienced through the aid of the Holy Spirit. Joy and happiness are often considered the same when they're actually very different. Happiness is merely an emotion, and it's, and it's caused by external circumstances that are always fleeting The world says joy is something that can be bought. And when you get this thing, all will be perfect. When in reality, any happiness from this humanly obtained thing fades rather than satisfying that innate need that we have for joy. Joy is advertised to us as a means to an end. That when you have that car, when you have that, when you meet that perfect person, when you make this much money, then and only then will you have true joy. But friends, there's always something better and more fancy. There's always someone that seems more perfect. And there's always more and more money to make. This fantasy can never ever be reached. 
1957, C.S. Lewis, who I'm a little bit obsessed with and can't wait to meet him in heaven, I'm going to pick his brain for three hours straight. He wrote, what, a, what Christmas means to me. And when I saw that, I was like, oh man, this is going to be so insightful and so awesome. But what it really was was super snarky and sarcastic, which is my love language, and I dug it so much. I would, I would recommend that you read it when you get home. That's your assignment, by the way. Go Google this. It's really good. So here are just a couple of things that he said in that. Can it really be my duty to buy and receive masses of junk every winter just to help the shopkeepers? Who has not heard the wail of despair and indeed of resentment when at the last moment, just as everyone hoped that the nuisance was over for one more year, the unwanted gift from Mrs. Busy, whom we hardly even remember, flops unwelcomed through the letterbox and back to the dreadful shops one of us has to go. And that was in 1957. Can you imagine how he would feel today? With the commercialism, friends of the world is trying to kick the crap out of Christmas with commercialism, with shiny things, and they're trying to overshadow what it really means. And it, and it literally, it, it breaks my heart. But satisfying joy comes from within and has absolutely nothing to do with outside circumstances. Joy is not a destination. It does not have human qualifiers attached to it. Real joy is known when the light of Jesus Christ outshines the fading glitter and the empty promises of this world. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But to get from that worldly view to the true view of joy, there must be a transformation of truth. Only then will you experience true joy and only then will spiritual joy be able to do its job. It completely calms the chaos. It overcomes the darkness. It allows rest where there should be fear. When you're born again, you have access to a brand new birthright with gifts that are just waiting for you to discover. The truth is that you can experience joy when you have cancer, and I know this because I have cancer, but I also have joy. That diagnosis will never define me, but Jesus Christ will. You can experience joy when you're struggling financially. You can experience joy when difficult things happen, and my friends, they will happen. Corey Ten Boom who I'm also secretly obsessed with and will rush to her in heaven, said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She was the only member of her family that survived Ravensbrück concentration camp. That is an example of joy coming from a place that cannot be touched by human hands. That is an example of a joy that does not make sense. It's real, it's legitimate, and it's free. It transforms your heart and the way you think and will make the once high priority things of this world lose their importance and their urgency and they will fade into static in the distance. Joy began when Christ left his throne of glory and came to us as a defenseless, humble baby. And joy was released and made available to us when Christ said, it is finished. Friends, do you have this joy? Do you want this joy? 
Please don't let one more day go by without it. If you have questions about what that is, at the end of this service, there are people on either side of this stage who will answer any questions that you may have. Do you want that? Please don't let this opportunity pass. If you are feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling weird about these questions, that means that you're being pursued. So please answer that call. I truly hope that in your walk with the Lord, you're able to receive this pure and untainted gift of joy and allow yourself to completely rest in it. Merry Christmas. Morning, church. My name's Chris Ownby, and I'm a elder here at the Murfreesboro campus. Uh, sometimes I'm referred to as the elder elder. Uh, I don't know if that's affectionate or not, but um, that's what they call me sometimes. Uh, I also co-lead a life group here, and I serve on the hospitality uh, committee, so maybe I've served you coffee or opened a door for you. So good morning. The scripture we're going to look at today is John 13, 16, 33. And it says, I've told you these things, so in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. The first thing this scripture tells me is that peace is not the absence of trial or suffering. In fact, Jesus promises that you and me will encounter both. Someone once told me uh, that you're either in a trial right now, you just came out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. So that's your encouraging word for this morning. <laughs> the second thing the scripture tells me is that peace is only found in a relationship with Jesus. He clearly states that it's in him is where peace exists. Uh, we can be confident and courageous in our trials because we know that he has overcome the world and he walks in those trials with us. So the plan for peace is simple. Stay connected to Jesus and you'll find peace. So why is it that I struggle to live in a continual state of peace? I feel like peace is elusive. It's like trying to hold water in my hands and the tighter I grip it, the faster it pours out. If I know the plan for peace, then why do I find myself sometimes anxious or frustrated or angry or depressed? Uh, the prophet Mike Tyson said, <laughs> everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. And that's it, isn't it? The world punches hard. It punches with pain and suffering and heartbreak. It punches with betrayal and disappointment and disillusionment. And it robs us of the peace that we so long to hold on to. And I hear Jesus say, in this world, you will have trials. My wife and I have recently been punched in the face by the world, and we're going through our own trial. Um, it's a particular difficult situation in our family, and the hopes and dreams that we had 20, sorry, 33 years ago when we got married, and we planned for a future and our kids and what our family would li look like, it's, it's not manifesting, and the vision that we had is not, um, not before us. And uh, there doesn't seem to be a way out of it. And um, it's pretty much overwhelming for us. And uh, I found myself without peace, and I began to look for it in a variety of different places. I tried um, a few of my favorites, materialism, uh, go buy something and let it be a source of peace and happiness. I tried distraction, um, looking through for entertainment or sports, leisure, or even laziness or idleness to distract me from the situation. And when those didn't work, I tried my favorite, which is denial, and just go on living life like it doesn't exist. Um, does that sound familiar to you guys? This is how the world fights. This is how the world tries to capture peace. And I know that sometimes we, even as a church, end up going that way. But rest assured, there's trouble there too. I've tried quite a few of them, but still there's an undercurrent of unsettledness 
of anxiety and depression in me. The problem with these techniques is they're powerless to overcome the suffering and they're void of any lasting relief. I was wallowing in a pity party the other day and uh, I had a conversation with my wife and I was going through the litany of the things that were going on in our life and, and um, my disappointment in them and the sadness associated with them. And I could see it in her eyes. She was listening, but she already had her response. And um, she lovingly reminded me of all the wonderful blessings God has given us in so many countless ways. She agreed, yes, there's something in our life that's not exactly right, but all the blessings God has given us far outweigh and overshadow those, um, that's, that scenario. And I'm so grateful for Kathy and a strong, amazing wife that I have that helps hold me accountable, encourages me, and, and leads me um, along in my faith. But I'm a slow learner. And so that very same morning uh, at six o'clock, I had my men's meeting. I've been meeting with a group of men for 23 years. Uh, they know everything about me, uh, very transparent. And uh, we you know, have given each other the ability to hold each other accountable. So I start going through my list with them. And they're shaking their heads. And, and as soon as I stop, uh, they remind me of this exact verse. You know the truth, Chris. Jesus said in this world we'll have trials but you can take heart because he's overcome the world. And they reminded me that it is only with him and in a relationship with him that I find peace. These conversations helped me realize that I had the answer the whole time. I just wasn't looking in the right place. I was going to the world and the ways of the world instead of to the single source of peace, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus I was at a conference soon after that, and I heard a Paralympic athlete say, I never ask for a lighter load, I ask for a stronger back. And that resonated with me because I've been asking God for a lighter load. God, will you fix this? Can you work in this? Can you bring back um, our hopes and dreams? Can you make our vision manifest, God? And I realized that I shouldn't necessarily pray that, but I should be asking God for a, a much deeper richer, closer relationship with him. And so um, he made it uh, evident to me that it's really his provision, his power, and his presence that I need. And in his presence, I find peace. To paraphrase Jesus, he says, come to me if you're anxious, if you're broken, if you're disappointed and hurting, or you're disillusioned, and I will give you peace. We're at peace only when he's with us, and the good news for you today, church, is he's with you all the time. We just need to realize it and live into it. I've made a commitment to stop looking at peace as the absence of trials. That way I'm not disappointed when they show up. Instead, I'm working on growing deeper in my relationship with Jesus through worship, studying his word, through prayer, and through a strong Christian community. And I found Jesus to be in those places, and where he is, I found his peace. This Christmas, instead of wishing you peace, I pray that you find Jesus. He's Emmanuel, God with us, with you and with me in these very messy lives that we live. May his presence and the peace that comes with it overwhelm everything that's overwhelming you this Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good morning, everybody. You guys doing okay? Good? So every year I feel like we have really good speakers. I feel like this year they were all exceptionally good. And if you get a chance, make sure you go over and just uh, tell them thank you. One, it is not easy to speak in front of a lot of people. And it's really not easy to speak five times in front of a lot of people over a weekend. So make sure you go buy them. Uh, go buy them. Yeah, go buy them. Go buy them something. Yes. Uh, no, go buy and tell them uh, thank you. I think the number one fear amongst people is public speaking, even over death. So people would literally rather die <laughs> than do what they just did. I think they did a great job, though. So I get what I think is uh, the neatest passage of Scripture, especially about pertaining to 
the birth of Jesus and um, in Christmas. And this is from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit and then give you some, some abstract thoughts that I have on this. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so everyone out to be registered, each to their own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him tightly in cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, <coughs> the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, I kind of highlighted this. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as, had, uh, just as how they had been told. So verse 19, I do this scripture every single year for Advent. And in verse 19 is one that I always seem to hang on. It says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. So we live, you and I, we live in a very loud culture, a very distracting, um, very chaotic at times society and culture. And in all the distractions and all the chaos and all the obligations and things going on around us, I think it's very easy for us to forget the simplicity in the beauty of the nativity, what we're talking about at Christmas, and also in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we read in Luke chapter 2 about a very surreal scene. So you have this scene where the Son of God is inserted into humanity via the most humble way possible. He was brought in through a blue-collar family in a very unconventional setting, and I don't think until this year that I've ever thought of the nativity story in, in regards to, to sound and, and stimuli. What I mean by that is, if you think about the nativity story, imagine being in that situation, the, the smells and the sounds and the uh, animals rustling around in this barn where, where Jesus was born, and there was no cell phones back then. There was no light pollution back then. There was no television that was on distracting the husband while his wife was giving birth or any, none of these things were happening. And it must have been a pretty surreal situation to be in, especially when you understand that Mary and Joseph knew that they're about to be the parents of God manifested in flesh. To take that up, up a notch, if you will, in verse 8 through 15, it says that there's a bunch of shepherds, and at night they're out tending to their, their flock of sheep. And I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Um, I've been out to, 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 to Nevada many times. We go out once a year. And um, what I love about Nevada is, is the desert, and the desert at night is just stunningly beautiful. 
And when you drive out to the middle of nowhere and there's no light pollution, there's no distractions, and you're just looking at the sky and you can see the Milky Way and all the beautiful stars, and you can even see satellites at times shoot through the sky and things like that, um, there's this tranquility to that. And so these shepherds are out there, very, very peaceful. They're just working, doing their job. Maybe they're talking with each other and maybe they're just listening to, to nature around them. And all of a sudden, an angel interrupts and it scared them so bad, it said they were terrified. And the angel says, hey, the savior of mankind is born. I need you guys to go visit. And this is what you're gonna see. And then it says a group of heavenly hosts show up and it gets very loud and very bright and then they leave to go see Jesus. In all of this kind of chaos of the birth of Jesus and the shepherds seeing this angel and all the noise and the heavenly hosts, all of this kind of gives way to this very tranquil scene when the shepherds arrive and there's Mary and there's Joseph and it says something that I think is just really beautiful. It says, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating. She was meditating on the miraculous events that have taken place amongst all the commotion, amongst probably the fear of giving birth and what this was going to mean. Mary was peacefully thinking on the blessings of God. And it's a very important lesson for us to remember. Why? Uh, because we live in a time of commotion. Again, it is, it is easy for us in 2023, about to be, it's going to get even easier in 2024, seriously, to, to get sidetracked and distracted and to forget the simplicity and beauty of the nativity and of the gospel. In all of our chaos, though, our commotion, our interruptions, distractions, obligations, I think it's more important than ever that we take the time to be quiet, that I think we take the time to remember that, that the gospel is not loud, it is not complicated, it is not distracting. The gospel is very simple. It's soft, it's confident, and it's the truth that God loves his creation so much that he would insert himself via his son to be the light and example to a world so we can be reconciled, so we can have hope and love and joy and peace, all these things we've talked about today. So my hope is this, um, for me, because a lot of this is for me, guys, um, but maybe it's for some of you too. I hope that not just in December, but I hope periodically throughout this coming year that we will intentionally take some time to just stop and to meditate and to think on the things that are truly important. Again, it is by no accident that Luke recorded that in the middle of the chaos, Mary was quiet and she meditated and thought on Jesus. And we are to learn from that. We're to remember what the most important things in life really are, of course, Jesus, and our family and our friends. So sometimes we need to intentionally sit still and talk to Jesus. Sometimes we need to cancel some meetings and just take our kids out. Sometimes we need to stop doing everything shut some stuff down, close the laptop, turn off the phone, and take a friend out for coffee and just laugh. We need to slow down, and we need to pause, and we need to meditate sometimes. This life is extremely difficult, and I presume it's going to get more difficult. Jesus said that it's like labor pains. It gets harder and harder until we are delivered. But even though life is hard, I believe life can be good because Jesus is good. And he invites us to meditate with him, to enjoy that peace, that love, that, that tranquility, that hope that we have talked about today. Isn't it ironic that CSX goes by right now, right? Polar Express, that's what that is, guys. Merry Christmas. So all that being said, I just, I just hope that you guys do not forget what we talked about today come February. Back when, you know, when, when work starts to get chaotic again, when the kids' schedules get chaotic and hectic, when there's so many things that you've got to take care of, don't forget the important things. Don't forget the things that we talked about today. 
and don't let the distraction of the world carry you away from the things that we should be looking at, the things we should be focusing on. So again, I wish you all Merry Christmas and I pray that this year coming up that you have, you have moments of stillness, that you have moments, I, we're studying this right now, but like David said, to be still and just know who God is, just to know who he is, okay? If you're new here, we do something at, at every single service and I'm gonna invite you all to, to take part in this. And this is a good day to do this. The first thing is, there will be a pastor up to up here on my right, your left, right over here. If you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God and you're curious about it, you can come up here, Pastor Mike, he's right over here. You can come up and talk to Pastor Mike. If you are in this room and maybe life is not easy right now and you just want prayer, there will be men and women on both sides of the stage. It doesn't matter what it is, they would love to pray with you. And I know Christmas time is not easy for everybody. Um, but if you need prayer, let someone pray with you. The last thing is this. We have communion all the way around the room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table and then the majority of these pillars, we invite everyone to take the, the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, this little baby boy that we talk about during Christmas grew up to be a young man and at 33 years old was crucified for the sins of humanity. And that's why we take communion to remember that, to honor that. Everyone is welcome to get the communion. You go back to your seat. Uh, you need to make sure that you've repented of any sin that may be in your heart before you take that. And then at the end of service, Kyle's gonna, uh, we're gonna do a song together and we can take communion together and, and, um, and then hopefully you guys can go enjoy your Christmas Eve, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, um, I pray that you keep your hand on all of us in this room, God. I pray, Lord, that this year, not just this season, not just from now until January 1st, God, but I pray that in 2024, we will intentionally find some time to, to get alone with you, to meditate on you, to think on you, God, to talk to you, Lord, to, to, to invest in the things that are truly important, like our relationship with you, our relationship with family and friends, God. Lord, we love you. Keep everyone safe. I pray that everyone gets a great time, Lord, with, with people that they love, God, the next couple of days and that you give us some rest. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. You're welcome to help yourself.